welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. be magnified. May the resurrection be the central story. Lord, would you make scriptures bigger, not smaller. Would you do something in our life today that isn't just something we believe, but something that fundamentally shifts the way we see our whole world. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated? Thank you so much. Ah, oh, it's good to be here with you. Good job, worship team. That was fantastic. Oh, it's so good to be here in Tamworth with my good friends, and um, it's an honor and privilege uh, to be here with you. If you're the type that likes to follow along in an actual Bible, Exodus chapter 20, I want to uh, talk to you about the Ten Commandments this morning, um, because when you want to kill a party, that's what you do. <laughs> um, I'm just joking. You're going to love this. All right, so for those of you who don't know me, this is all I do for a living. I travel around and speak. I've had the incredible privilege of being mentored by a pastor who just happens to have his rabbi training as well. So my stuff sort of comes from that. I also have a master's degree in clinical psychology, so I'm actually qualified to sort your head out, okay? So careful what you say to me, because I see through all that stuff. I see through all of it. Um, during the breaks and, um, and, and, and things, we're, we have a table set up. Um, in the back right, when you walk out towards the front door to the right, we have our resource table um, set up. We have CDs, DVDs, USBs, and direct downloads. And if you look at that, it's quite a lot. If you look at it and you go, why would you carry all that around with you? The reason is, is because we make a lot of money from it. And the, and the reason we do that is because we live with the conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die. We're called to say yes to the infinite possibilities of every opportunity we have to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. So uh, 100%, and this has been true for over a decade now, 100% of every um, money we've ever made and profit from that table, we give to the poor and the afflicted. So we have three orphanages. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. We have, we have three orphanages in China that look after children with mental disabilities, two in Hinyang, one in Changsha. We also have a rescue home in Cape Town that gets girls out of sex trafficking. But we don't just do that. We get them off drugs, high school educated, and job trained so we can break the cycle of poverty in the Cape Town flats. That's the idea. All right? So um, that's how we do it. And just to remove all manipulation, um, um, I, I, I would never tell mentally handicapped children in China, wait and see if people in Tamworth buy something, okay? Um, what we, we, have, we have an amount that requires us great faith. It requires us great faith to believe for that amount. Um, and we give it. On August 1st, we gave it already. Um, on August 1st, we gave to the Cape Town thing already. Uh, what we're going to give, we gave. And then we believe God over the course of the month to make it up, right? And if we don't, we eat it. And if we do, uh, if we go over that, we just make it up, right? And so they're going to be fine no matter what you do. I don't want you to do anything out of manipulation, all right? It's going to be it's going to be fine. But it does help us um, do things to project forward to, to help us uh, come up with a number that that, that requires faith. So here's all I'm saying is, is let me put something in your hands that will change the way you look at God. And in so doing, you put something in our hands that helps us feed, close, shelter, educate mentally handicapped kids. I, I, I think that's, uh, that's a pretty good trait. All right. So Exodus chapter 20. This is uh, the start, the starting line of what is called the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. If you could bring that first slide up for me, please. Here it is. And God spoke. All these words saying, I am the Lord, your God. So the Ten Commandments does not start with conditions. It starts with an affirmation. I'm your God. I am the Lord, your God. 
See, I, I grew up in the South, in, in America, in an excessively Pentecostal holiness situation. I don't even know if there's the same thing here. My grandmother died at 92. She'd never cut her hair in her whole life. She'd never worn makeup in her whole life. She'd never worn jewelry in her whole life. She'd never worn slacks in her whole life. She never drank wine in her whole life. She never went to a movie in her whole life. As a matter of fact, if I went to a movie, she would pray for the whole time I was in the movie that Jesus wouldn't come back while I was in the movie because Jesus would never go into the movie to get me out of the movie, right? Which is a really strange way of looking at God. A God that was willing to come to earth and die for you won't go into a movie theater. That is just weird, right? And, and I was told, I was told, you need to have a relationship with God. But then, but then after being told you need to have a relationship with God, they, they made God sound like a lunatic. Literally someone you would never want to have anything to do with. A, a, a God that leaves you every time you sin. It, when, I was, when I was a kid, I got saved five times a week probably. Seriously, because every time you sin, God left. And he doesn't come back to you, say sorry. But see, but see, I went to school at a Baptist school. And at the Baptist school, you couldn't lose your salvation. You, 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 but you could rededicate your life. So this is how my spiritual life worked. I would get saved every Sunday. Same lady with her hair pulled back in a bun. So it's, come here, my child. I, I, would, I would go up there every Sunday and get saved. And then Monday at chapel at school, I'd rededicate my life. And then I'd rededicate my rededicated self on Wednesday. And then on Friday chapel, I'd rededicate my rededicated, rededicated self. And then on Sunday, I'd get resaved and just hope Jesus didn't return on Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday, lest I be tortured for 40 billion years or something. That doesn't seem like the kind of person I want to have a relationship with. And so what I want to do is I want to recapture the beauty of when, 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 when we say a relationship with God, what does that look like? I want, to, I want to recapture the beauty of the Ten Commandments, not as commandments. They actually, in Jewish culture, they don't call them Ten Commandments, right? And I don't mind if you, if you call them Ten Commandments. That doesn't worry me. Actually, I have a series on it out there, and I call it Ten Commandments because that's what white people call them. But, but in, in Jewish culture, Ten Commandments are not called Ten Commandments. They're called a ten-word ketubah. And we're, we're going to get to that in a second. I want to recapture the beauty of the Ten Commandments as a marriage proposal. I, I want to recapture the beauty of the word Pentecostal. In about 36 minutes. This is going to be awesome. Now, let me, let me center the whole talk around these five words. If you could bring the next slide up. So this is a Hebrew wedding process. Next slide. All right. <laughs> okay, let me just tell you the words, all right? They're going to sort that out in just a second. The words are laka. They, oh, there we go. The words are laka, segula, mikvah. Ketubah, and Hoopah. Now, this, this is the five-step process of how a Hebrew relationship goes from introduction to consummation. Okay? So this is from, we're going to be serious about this, to, to full-on consummation. Now, now let, me, let me teach you these words. These are Hebrew words, and they're fun to learn. Okay? So the first word is, so when I ask you to repeat it, I want you to repeat it with some go New South Wales blues gusto. Okay? Of course, this is a women's conference. That doesn't really work. But that's, that's fine, right? So some kind of gusto. Okay? So the first word is laka. Let's try that. Ready? Go. Laka. This is going to be fun. The second one is sagula. Try that one. Sagula. The third one is mikvah. Try that one. Mikvah. The, third, the fourth one is katubah. And the fifth one is whoopah. And that is what you're thinking. Now, <laughs> so laka, sagula, mikvah, katubah, and hoopah. This is how a, an ancient Hebrew relationship progressed. Let, let me see if I can illustrate it. 
um, by using a today sort of thing. Let's say I was dating someone, and let's say, for the sake of example, her name is, I'm picking a, just a random thing, Joe. Okay, so I'm dating somebody named Joe, and, and we, we start the process of dating. We have chemistry, and she laughs at my jokes, and I find her easy to talk to, and there's some limerence going on. Limerence is the involuntary rush of dopamine in one's brain when they're in the presence of somebody. It's what makes attraction possible. It's why when you're first dating, you talk for four hours, and it feels like four minutes. But after you've been married ten years, the thought of a four-hour conversation seems like hell, right? Right? <laughs> this is limerence, right? And so... And so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're dating, and this thing's going somewhere, and, and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're deciding, yeah, yeah, I think this could go somewhere, right? Well, once we decide that we're in this thing, the word that she would be longing to hear me say is laka. So, let's say I take her on a date to the nicest restaurant in Tamworth. Uh, whatever, I don't, I'm not from here, all right? Nando's, all right, so... So here we go. So we're we're out we're we're out at, at, on this date, and and I just feel in my heart this is this is the night, this is it. I'm I'm gonna start this process. So I walk her to her door, you know, and I take her by the hand and I say, Joe, Laka. Well, she can barely keep her hands off of me. She is so excited. She runs inside. She calls her three best friends. He said Laka to me. He said Laka to me. Oh. He said laka to me. Facebook status change. He said laka. Now, the word laka means will you be my own? Will you be my own? If you could hit that, here it is. This is Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. God is talking to this group of slaves. They've known nothing their whole life but slavery. And he uses this strange relational word. He says, I'll free you from being slaves to them. And I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. In other words, I'm going to be very kind to you for no reason, really, other than I love you. And I will take you as my own. The word is laka. Well, you didn't have to explain to that culture what laka is. That's wedding talk. That's marriage talk. This is a group of slaves going, what is that? Did, did everybody just hear what I just heard? Did he say laka? This is, this is the first instance from any God, anywhere, from any culture, of any scripture, from any civilization, anywhere in the world. In every other culture, civilization, you go to that God's temple and you might do the right ritual at the right moment at the right time. And that God might respond to you if you do the right ritual at the right moment at the right time. But it's distant. It's there. It's, it's, uh, this God is using marriage language. La ka. This group of slaves would have been like, they, they would have had no file folder for that. This is revolutionarily a move forward. A relationship with a God? That makes no sense. They would have been, they would have been flabbergasted, almost traumatic in the sense like, wait a minute, we have no file folder for what you're saying. La ka. Does God want to marry us? Now, let's go back to those five words. Hit the next slide for me. So once I'm dating Joe and I say la ka to her, what word would she be longing to hear next? Segula. And I'm in a room full of women, right? Like, honestly, once I say la ka, how long does that last? How long does that excitement last before all of her friends start saying, has he said Segula yet? 
Does he have a commitment problem? Right? Come on, why hasn't he said Segula yet? What have you done? What's wrong with him? Are you sure about this? And you're like defending me. You're like, shut up. He'll say Segula when he's ready. Leave him alone, you know. So we go on another date. And I just feel in my heart, this is the night, you know. And I walk her to her door and I hold her by the head and I say, Joe. Segula. Well, she can hardly contain herself. She runs in. She calls her three best friends. He said Segula to me. He said Segula to me. Oh, yeah. He said Segula to me. Facebook status change. He said Segula. Now, Segula means treasured possession. Treasured possession. Now, now I know, I, listen, I know it's 2019, and they'd be like, what, you think you own me? Now, listen, it, it, this, the, the, it, like, honestly, I, like, I, I, get, I get it, I get it. it but it, it, try to think it in their world. This was like a really cool, it was, it was La Ca times five. It was, um, it was, I don't want you just to be mine. I, I want you to be the most important person in my whole world. My Segula. It, it, I try to think it like t today it would be like um, the, the apple of my eye or, or like the most important person in my whole world. It was Segula. So in Exodus chapter 6, God says to this group of people, hey, I want you to be like ha, my own. Now this group of people, they know what the next step is. And in Exodus 19, here's what he says. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant... Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. The word is segula. In other words, wait a minute, hang on. It's laka segula. This group of slaves would have been flabbergasted. What is going on here? God is using marriage talk, wedding talk. What is happening here? Laka segula. Now, if you go back to those five words, hit the next slide for me. And just, and just keep it there just for a second. Yeah, and, until I tell you to move that, I want you to keep it there. Because the next word would be mikvah, right? So I've already said laka. I've already said segula. And now the word that she'd be longing to hear is mikvah, right? Mikvah. Now, I, I have been asked by request to preach this message literally all over the world. I, I, I preached it, I don't know, six months ago at an international women's conference um, for, for a big movement. And, and, and I've, I've done it at one voice, and it was by request. And here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. I've preached this in huge rooms full of women and in smaller rooms full of women. This is a pretty big room full of women. And, and, but it's always the same. When I say la ca and say my own, the women go, oh, right? And then I say segula, and it's like treasured possession. Now, mikvah, mikvah is far less romantic. Mikvah means go wash. Like, girl, you need a bath. Your breath is stinky. <laughs> mikvah was a three-day notice. See, see, to, in, in our world today, we don't really have this. In, in our world today, people wonder if tonight's the night he's going to ask. They, they didn't wonder. It, it's, it's a little bit less mysterious now. Because when you show up on a date and there's a professional photographer already there. <laughs> hmm. 
when there's professional photographers, hot air balloons, and a fireworks station, you're like, okay, yeah, this isn't. But 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 there's a there's a bit of mystery, you know, like, hey, is tonight the night, right? Not in that world. In that world, once you said you you weren't allowed to ask them to marry you until you said mikvah, and mikvah was a three-day notice that in three days I'm going to ask you to marry me, so I want you to be clean so that I can touch you. That, that was the idea. You see this all through Scripture. Uh, probably the most overkill is Esther. Remember it says, Esther bathed in perfume for a year before she went and asked her husband a request, which I think we can all agree is a bit overkill, right? Like if somebody bathed in perfume for a year, and you'd be like, ooh, girl, come on now. What you hiding? What you do? Right? It's like that, right? Right? <clears throat> now, mikvah was, I want you to be clean so that when I ask you to marry me, you're ritually clean and I can touch you. But it was a three-day notice that in three days, I'm going to ask you to marry me. Same group of people. Exodus chapter 6. I want you to be laka. Exodus chapter 19. I want you to be Segula. This is five verses later. It doesn't take him that long to say mikvah. If you could bring the mikvah one up. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash mikvah, their clothes, and be ready by the third day. Third day, a three-day notice. So, in Exodus 19, verse 10, God gives them a three-day notice that in three days from now, I'm going to ask you to marry me. So in Exodus 20, which is the next chapter, that's where we get the phrase, the Ten that's the famous one, the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments were not Ten Commandments as we would think, like Ten Conditions for God to Love You. It was Ten Proofs He Already Does. It was a marriage proposal. So there's Laka, there's Segula, there's Mikvah, and then the fourth step is called Ketubah. So here's what that would work. This, this is going to take me a second to explain this, but this is how that would work. Then I'll show it to you in the scripture. Ketubah was three days after your washing, we would get together. Now a Ketubah was a marriage contract. It was a prenup. It was a, an agreement agreed upon by both parties for the rules that are going to dictate how our marriage will operate. It was, it, was, it was an agreement on both parties on how we treat one another, what's off limits, what's on limits, expectations, things like this. And so, and so this was called a covenant once it was agreed upon. Now, some of the worst teaching on marriage you'll ever hear is this. Once you make a covenant, it doesn't matter what they do. You just kind of got to put up with it. That, listen, there, that's, that, is, that is an old way of thinking. It's not new. It's an old way of thinking. It's, it's actually based in a Latin theology, okay? The Latin word is, ready? You might want to write this down, bullimus crapimus, okay? Now, <clears throat> right? Right? If, if you need the translation for that, you can ask somebody. I, I can't exactly get the English right. I just know in Latin it's bullimus crapimus. Now, because... A covenant was based upon an agreement that two parties made. And if either party broke that agreement in an unrepentant pattern, they called it marital unfaithfulness. Okay, So here's what would happen. 
let me see, I guess, paint the picture. I'm here. Joe, I forgot her name for a second. Joe's here, right? Right? So I'm here, and Joe's here, and we're going to write a ketubah. Now, here was the rules. I could put anything in the ketubah I wanted, and she could put anything in the ketubah she wanted, so long as we both agreed. Because how can two walk together lest they be agreed? There would be two other people there, normally our fathers, for two reasons. Wisdom, like, like there's something about a father who's walked through this going, I know you think that's possible, but no, trust me, you don't want to put that in. Like, hey, they, they, no, 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 that's a good thing. Hey, remember to put that in there. They were there for wisdom, and they were there for witness, right? That, that you couldn't say, no, I didn't say that. No, you had two witnesses, and you had the people there, normally the fathers. We would write the ketubah. I could put anything in the ketubah I wanted. She could put anything in the ketubah she wanted as long as we both agreed. When, when I was um, in, in counseling practice and I was in charge of all the counseling for a big mega church, right? I had to do all the premarital counseling. And I used to, I used to make them write ketubahs. Like I would, I, would, I would have them be there just to go through the process of this is not a willy-nilly thing you're walking into here. This is a serious thing. And especially, see, in Jesus' day, they died at 32. So till death do us part was more doable, right? <laughs> now you got to live with them to 84, right? So you got to take this really, really serious, right? <laughs> True, right? And so, so you, would, you would do this. Now, once the ketubah was agreed upon and signed, we would stand. This is a beautiful thing. You're going to recognize this instantly if, you, if, you know, if you're at all familiar with Scripture. You would stand. I would, I would then take her by the hand and say, based on this ketubah, will you marry me? And, of course, at that point, yes, right? There's nobody going, no, I don't think. It's, they went through that whole process. The answer would be yes. Once she says yes... I would say, well, then I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. And then she would say, when are you going to come back to receive me unto yourself? <laughs> and I would say, I do not know the day or the hour. But when my father approves the wedding chamber I'm building for you, I will come back to receive you unto myself. So be watchful and ready for my return. Is that sounding familiar to anybody? So, so, so Jesus is using this kind of language. Once again, the, the people listening to this would be like, what? After all this, is, is Jesus, are they still wanting to marry us? Is, are they still interested in a relationship with us after all of this? After all the stuff we put them through, they are still interested in us? Are you kidding me? So here's what would happen, right? I would then go and prepare a place for her. Uh, it, it, it's, it wasn't elaborate like what you're thinking. I've actually been to these things. See, back, back in those days, they, they, nobody had money. Like today, you get married whenever you get married. You leave the house. No, no. Those days, they lived in these like family compounds, right? And I've been in these. I've been to Israel and been to these. It's basically something that would easily fit on the stage, and it was long. Right? And, and the older people had the bedrooms at the front. At the very front, in the roadside, was, your, was your, like your family business. It was your store. That's how you made money. And then the older people, you know, the 30-year-olds, they were in the front. Right? <laughs> and, then you, and then you sort of had, you had bedrooms on either side. Right? And then the new married couple, they would just build an extension 
on the back of on the back of this like just another bedroom. It was just another thing. And as people died, they were moved out the door, and then you graduated, <laughs> right? You gra- you graduated up. That's that that that's, that's how it worked, right? So so you would go, you would go build you would go build this place. Now, what would happen is is once that place was built, the father approves it. Yes, this is a reasonable. Thing for your new bride. Then I would go back to pick her up. Now what I'm going to do at this point is I'm going to explain ketubah and hoopah all at once. And then I'm going to show it to you in the scripture. So I'd go back and pick her up. We would then go to the place where the marriage chamber was. And we would have a wedding. Okay. Now a wedding existed underneath two hoopas. Okay. A hoopah was a covering. That, namely, I mean, if, if you've ever seen, remember that old movie, Meet the Parents, where Owen Wilson builds this elaborate $50,000 hoopah, right? Okay, not that, right? Although, although we have some versions of that in every wedding today. You go to a wedding today, there's almost always some sort of archway that people stand under. There's, the, there, there's this symbolism that still exists now. In the most rustic way, what they would do is they would take a prayer shawl, just a, a, a you know, the prayer shawl, and they would take four sticks, put it in the ground, and they would tie the tassels of the prayer shawl around the four sticks, and it would make a canopy that you would stand under the presence of God. And so what would happen is I'd bring my new wife, and we would have a wedding. And the, the wedding was beautiful. We would, we would uh, reinforce what we promised in the ketubah. And then there was all this beautiful stuff, like the, the, the guy doing the wedding, he would have, let me see if I can do this simply, um, the, the woman would have a baggie of salt, the man would have a baggie of salt, and the priest would have an empty bag. And he would take the man's bag and empty it. He would take the woman's bag and empty it. And then he would shake it. And he would say, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. And then he would take the mixed salt and he would sprinkle it over their hands. It was called the salt ceremony. He would sprinkle it over their hands. And the idea was, is even though divorce was allowed and actually sometimes necessary, that, that there was no way to totally separate all the salt, and so you would do this under the hoopah, but then there was a second hoopah. What they would do after the ceremony is I would walk my new bride to the wedding chamber, and what they would do is over the marriage bed, they would take four sticks and tie a prayer shawl over the marriage bed, because the idea was is that the consummation of the relationship needed to be witnessed to be authentic. But nobody wants to, it's not a great spectator sport, right? So, so what they would do, <laughs> what they would do is they would, they would put the, the, the prayer shawl over there and you would consummate your marriage under the chuppah, under the presence of God. So here's how that would look. You would finish the wedding, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. You'd finish the wedding and then you would walk to the wedding chamber, right? And then what you would do in that culture I don't know if you do this in Australia, but you would, um, you'd pick your bride up and you'd carry her in there. I don't know. Like, does that happen here that, where, you, where you pick? I mean, it's a good idea for some. For, for, for others, like, girl, I'll give you a piggyback. I don't know. Right? 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 So, so you pick them up. And this is where it gets really weird. They were far less embarrassed by their sexuality than we are. You would walk into the prayer chamber, uh, into the mayor's chamber. Somebody would shut the door behind you. And then they'd wait for you to be done. So you're consummating your marriage under the hoopah. 
And people are just like. <laughs> now remember, these people are like 14 years old, right? So like 40 seconds later, here we go, right? We're done. <laughs> and then you'd have, then you'd have a party. You'd, you'd, you know, so you'd, you'd, you'd have this party. That's how that would work. So you have Laka, Segula, Mikvah, Ketubah, and Hupa. So this group of people, they've already heard Laka. Will you be mine? Exodus 19, my trip, my Segula. Exodus 19, verse 10, Mikvah. Three days later, here comes the Ketubah. Watch this. Next slide. And God spoke all these words. Ketubah. I am the Lord, your God. So God starts out with, a, with an affirmation. I am your God. You've done nothing to deserve it yet. And I, I'm still, I'm, I'm with you. You've done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. I'm with you. I'm with you. Now, if you look that word up, if you look that sentence up in Hebrew, there's three words. Anoki, Jehovah, Elohim. Now, if you know Hebrew at all, you know that you could say, I am the Lord your God with two words, Jehovah, Elohim. So the first word that God puts in the marriage contract, the ketubah, is a word that doesn't, isn't necessary. It's um, anarchy, which is weird. Now, when the first word isn't necessary, it tells you it's very important. Very important. Now, ancient Hebrew was not letters. Ancient Hebrew was pictures. They learned to write in hieroglyphics. They came from Egypt. Block letters in Hebrew did not come around till way later, like after David. So every Hebrew letter is a picture. Every Hebrew word is a comic strip. It tells you, it tells you a story. And when you put the comic strip on anarchy, let, let me show it to you. Next slide. So anarchy has, has those, that's the letter. So A is an I, is a, um, um, is, is a, uh, a, a ox head going into a yoke. It means the ability to carry something. The, the, the power or the authority to, to carry a burden. The N is, is fish multiplying. So it looks like a musical crescendo. One becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight. The CH is a hedge or a fence. And the Y is an, upraid, is an upraised hands. It means to praise or submit. So what you have in this, in, in this word is you have an ox head going into a yoke. You have fish multiplying. You have a hedge or a fence, and then you have an upraised hand to praise or submit. So when an ancient Hebrew person read this word, here's what they read. Next slide. Your authority is multiplying inside the hedge of praise and submission. In other words, the Ten Commandments starts with God's commitment. I am here to make you bigger. I am here for your benefit. I'm not here to hurt you. Which is so revolutionary in that day. A God asking to marry you could have been, would have been terrifying. What, what might he expect? Might he expect child sacrifice? Possible. Might he expect cutting yourself or something? Yet yeah, possible. Possible. But evidently, this God starts out with a commitment. I am here to save the day. I am here to make you bigger. And think about it. Think about the Ten Commandments as a marriage proposal instead of a list of rules. Think about how beautiful that is. Hey, don't have any other gods before me. In other words, if we're going to be married, I'd like to be the only one. That'd be all right, right, right? Oh, 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 don't, don't have idols hanging around your house. In other words, if we're going to be married, I, I don't want you carrying pictures of your old boyfriends around. It sort of hurts my feelings. Don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, hey, 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 let's, you know what let's do? Let's have one day a week and spend it together. Let's do that. 
Let's have one day a week where you're reminded you're not a machine and you can rest and spend it with me. How about that? And remember, what were these people's jobs? Slaves. 430 years. When was their last day off? Never. No slave at the foot of that mountain was going. Oh, no. It's the law. He's putting all kinds of rules on us. They'd be like, what? Did you hear? Am I the only one that in our new world we get a day off? Are you kidding? We've never had a day off, ever. Hey, hey, don't use my name in vain. Which, by the way, is not a language issue. It has nothing to do with saying, oh my God. Right? Although it's, that probably shouldn't do that. But it, but it has nothing to do with some sort of language thing. It, it has to, the, the word is nasa. It's, it's um, it essentially, literally it says, don't carry my name in a way that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. In, in other words, in other words, don't, um, don't If we're married, you're going to have power of attorney over my checkbook. Don't write checks I wouldn't sign. Right? In other words, don't put the fish on your car and then flip someone off who cuts you off in traffic. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't wear a cross around your neck and then curse out the waitress for taking too long to get your order. Right? Don't do, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, in other words, oh, oh, here's one. Don't. Don't put my name on the end of your idea to give it more credibility. Right? Don't do that. That would be horrible if we ever did that. If we ever used the word God and we were really just talking about ourselves with a giant megaphone, that would be terrible. That would be terrible. Or if we were using the word God as an exclamation point for our idea. Or, or, or we have an idea and people aren't really buying it, so we say God said. And you're like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, oh, don't kill each other. Once again, what were these people's job? Slaves. Think about how they would have heard that. What? What? In our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't kill us? Our life is protected? You've got to be. We've never known a world like this. The Egyptian people could just kill any of us. No, there was no police. No, any. What? Hey, hey, don't steal from each other. What? In our new world, our stuff is protected? The biggest, strongest people can't just take our things? What? What? Hey, don't sleep with each other's spouses. What? What? In, in our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't rape our wives? What? You mean to tell me in our new world, my life, my wife, and my stuff is protected? This would be the greatest world ever created. We've never known anything like this. You see how distasteful it is when people take something as beautiful as that and they call it the law? Or worse, they paint it as ten rules. For, like, no, no, this is like the greatest thing ever. Laka, segula, mikvah, ketubah. And then, of course, there's chupah. So, so the, ten, the ten commandments, or the ten words, the ten word ketubah, the ten word marriage proposal, ends with this. Don't covet. I, I, I love the way the rabbis teach that. They actually say there's only, if you're going to call them commands, there's only nine commands. That, that the 10th command is a reward. That if you keep the first nine, you'll never want for anything. You'll be content. Right? It's, it's brilliant. So, so, so it, it goes into don't cover your neighbor's, neighbor's wife or donkeys or cattle or whatever. Right? And then here's the very next sentence. Here's the hoopah. Check this out. Next slide. When the pe- this is Exodus 20 verse 18. When the people saw the thunder... 
It's an odd sentence. We saw thunder. If somebody came in and said, I saw thunder, you'd go, that's crazy. <laughs> when people saw the thunder and lightning, that makes sense, and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. That's a weird sentence. How do you see thunder? How do you see? It should actually say, when the people saw the lightning and the smoke and they heard the trumpet and the thunder. That would make more sense. But it doesn't say that. It says they saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain of smoke. Here's what happened. The Ten Commandments are given. They're standing at the base of the mountain. They look up and this covering of the presence of God covers them in smoke. Hoopah. And they look up and they see thunder. Now, if you go look that, that word up in the original language, the word is kole. Everywhere else in all of scripture, it is translated voices or languages. It's the same word used when Moses saw the voice out of the burning bush. Okay? And lightning. The word lightning is glorified fire. Same word for the fire of the burning bush. So here's what happened. They're standing at the base of the mountain, and the presence of God covers them in smoke. And they look up, and they see languages inside fire. Right? Where have we... What would the voices have been saying? Will you marry me? In, in, in Jewish history books, it says that on this day in history, God proposed. It actually uses the word proposed. God proposed to the whole world by using 70,000 tongues of fire from the sky. What, what, Jewish history, what Jewish history says is that when the people were standing there, when they looked and saw the languages of fire, they turned and the languages of fire were going as far as they could see. That God was proposing to the whole world. Oh, by the way, 1857 in Rangoon, Burma, an English sociologist, before electricity, before the internet, before any of that, he was studying the, the, the people of Burma. And he said, who are those people up that mountain? And they said, you don't want to go up there, they're a little nuts. He said, no, I do, I want to learn about them. And they were called the Karen people. And he walks up the mountain, and as a sociologist, he says, who is your God? And their answer in 1857 was, we serve a God named Yava, who proposed to us thousands of years ago with languages of fire from the sky. <laughs> you know that part in the Bible where it says God wrote his ways on people's hearts? Maybe God was reaching out to the world before white people could complicate. All right, so, so, so wait a minute, if you're married, help me with something. If you're married, what do you do once a year on the day you got married? You celebrate your, yes, and if you don't, it's a really good idea, right? Right, it, it's, it's a moment where you go back and remember, there was a time I liked you, you know? Yeah, remember that day, remember that one day, I, I really liked you that day, and, and, it, and it was and, and, it, and it helps you put aside the petty stuff and, and come back and it regrounds you. And, and so here's what happened in this story, right? So God marries them at Mount Sinai. And he institutes a rule that every year on that day, they have to do no work and they have to come together and celebrate their anniversary. You can read about it in Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23, it'll be later. But here's the thing, right? That day was called Pentecost. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Pentecost was a yearly celebration of what happened in Mount Sinai. It happened on the same day. So years later, there's this group of people. And they're together in the upper room together. Why? Because they're celebrating the feast of? Yes. It's just what you did. And here's how Pentecost worked. It's the only feast that, that required a leavened loaf of bread. Everything else was unleavened. Not on Pentecost. Pentecost had to be leavened. And, and they would take the leavened bread. And the guy leading it would break it, and he would take oil, and he'd saturate the leavened bread. And, and he would say something like this, I thank you, my God, that your unleavened life is willing to become one with our leavened life. I thank you, my God, that you want to be with us flaws and all, issues and all. See, Pentecostals for years have said stuff like this. you got to get the leaven out of your life for God to use you. you got to get the leaven out of your life for God to use you, right? And, and look. Get the leaven out your life. It's for your best life. But it has nothing to do with how God feels about you. The whole point of Pentecost is God wants to be with you, leaven and all, issues and all, flaws and all. And when he broke that bread, he would say, now the day of Pentecost has fully come. So they were all together. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, what happened? It says, they looked up and the presence of God covered them in smoke. And they saw languages inside fire. So the same exact thing is happening on the same exact day, just years later. The only difference is this time they spoke back, which is the birth of the church, which is the bride of Christ. The question is, is how should we then live? Check this out from Leviticus 23. This was the commands around the Feast of Pentecost. On that same day, you're to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. Watch the last command for Pentecost. And when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner, for I am the Lord, your God. Think about Acts chapter 2. They have this amazing experience, and what's the first thing they do? They sell all that they could, and they minister to the poor to their best ability. See, Pentecostals should not be known in our world for tongue-talking. Like, you could just be, you could be a tongue-talking jerk, right? Like, tongue-talking is a beautiful part of the story. It's, it's, your, it's your wedding talk. But actually, the the fundamental response to that move of the Spirit of God should be to so profoundly connect to it that we can't help but be just. God treated us as we were worth and not as we deserve. We should treat others as they are worth and not as they deserve. Pentecostals should not be all the people in the town speaking in tongues. Pentecostals should be known for the most generous, kindest, compassionate group of people in our towns. <laughs> because what would happen? If we were willing to show the world how God treated us, we did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it, with no ability to pay him back, and he still was kind to us. What would happen when we encounter somebody, and with no ability to pay us back, nothing to deserve it, we affirm their worth? That's what Pentecostals are. So, my sisters of Tamworth and New South Wales, may you not just be people on your way to heaven when you die. May you be people who bring heaven to every place we see hell here. May we be Pentecostal in the most fundamental sense of the word.
May we recapture the beauty of that word. May we recapture the beauty of the relationship with God. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you need to say yes to the first invitation. Laka. Will you trust God with your life? Will you trust the version of your life story that Jesus has been writing instead of the one you've been writing on your own? Maybe that's where you are. Maybe, maybe you've already said yes to that, but you need to take the next step and realize just how precious and treasured that you are. Maybe once realizing that, maybe you're at the third level and, and actually you need to respond to God's kindness by repenting a little bit, cleaning up your life, actually re representing what that looks like to our world. And maybe we need to have an encounter with the Spirit of God, not just so we can speak in tongues, although I honor that, but so that we can be so fundamentally transformed by the kindness of God that we can't help but be generous and kind and compassionate to our brothers and sisters in the world around us. The, the, the poor and the foreigner, the outsiders. May we be those people. I bless you, my sisters of New South Wales and Tamworth. I bless you not to be afraid, but to realize that God loves you, Levin, and all flaws and all issues and all, and he wants to be with you. I invite you into that level of a profound relationship. Welcome, my sisters, to the bride of Christ. Grace and peace, everybody. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.